Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at My Collective Church or head to www.mycollective.church. Now here's Sunday's message. How was that extra hour of sleep last night? <laughs> Parents are like, what? Actually, I hope y'all feel good uh, because we have something to talk about that's really serious right now. It has been brought to my attention that some of you have already started listening to Christmas music. What are you doing? I drove by a house yesterday by Fort Dietrich and had their lights up and said joy at the top. And I was like, that's not how I feel right now. You cannot skip Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the best holiday. That's a hot take. You can take that home with you. Also, I just wonder, for those of you listening to Christmas music, do you also eat candy corn while you're doing that? Because you seem like that type of person. Uh, I just don't understand it, but I just had to get that off my chest. So let's jump into today. So we're in this series right now called The Sunset Clause. And the idea is pretty much this. Most churches have a 30-year window of being a truly impactful church before they plateau or die. And the truth is that will probably be collective. So because of that, we want to do everything we can to make the biggest impact possible right now. Not 10 years from now, not 50 years from now, not 100 years from now, right now. And we want to take advantage of the best years of this church's life, which are the years that we are currently in. And one of the ways that we do that is through generosity. And that's what this series is all about. And if you were here last week, you are well aware of that. But if you were not and you brought a friend with you today, you're probably thinking, you have got to be kidding me. The one time, my first time guest shows up at Collective, and we're talking about the one topic they don't want to hear about. So let me just talk to everybody whose arms just crossed and their eyes just rolled to the back of their head as soon as I mention the word generosity. Today is a great day to be a guest, because if you are new to this church thing, if you are new to Jesus, if you're new to this whole experience and it feels kind of crazy, here's what's so great about this. You can completely ignore everything we're going to talk about today, and God's love for you will not change. You can actively choose to not do what God says when it comes to money, and he will still love you more than life itself. Check this out. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5. He said, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And the word sinners simply means people who have chosen their own way over God's. It means that we knew in our heart of hearts what we should do and what God wanted us to do, but we chose to do something different. We chose to do what felt good in the moment instead of what God wanted us to do. And that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you go to church or you have ever opened your Bible, because every single one of us knows that we have made decisions and have walked out of alignment with what God wants for our lives. Right? The truth is, we are all sinners. Nobody is perfect. Paul wrote, actually, just a few chapters earlier that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, let's focus on the word still, This is probably the most important word in the verse because what it means is that God didn't wait for us to straighten out our life. God didn't wait for us to make a promise to say that we would do better. God didn't even wait for us to stop sinning. While we were still doing the worst thing that we would ever do, while we were choosing to do it, the truth is while a lot of us were enjoying doing it, Jesus said, I'm gonna die for that. I'm gonna die for him. I'm gonna die for her. Christ died for us while we were still sinners, ungodly as we were. And this is how God demonstrates his love for us. 
Tim Keller says it like this, and I've shared this with you before, but it's just so good. He says, we are more wicked than we dared believe, but more loved by Christ than we ever did hope. That is the gospel. Right? That is the good news of Jesus. And then once you follow Jesus, it isn't that you have to earn your keep. It's not grace when I come to Jesus and then I'm on my own. On my own. It's not a bait and switch. And so today is not now is when you feel guilty. Today is not now is when you get kicked out. Today is not now is when God is disappointed in you because God is never disappointed in you. It's grace when I come to Jesus. It's grace when I walk with Jesus. It's grace with money, grace with my marriage, grace with my arrogance. It's always grace. And so if you are skeptical of church or Christian or Jesus or pastors, the thing we want you to know today is that God's love for you will never change. It cannot change. And you can ignore everything we talk about in the next 20 minutes, and God's love for you will not decrease. And so if you came here today tired and worn out, screwed up again, lied again, lashed out again, selfish again, Jesus sees you and he loves you and he wants you to experience grace and nothing can change that. And that's the most important thing for you to hear today. But that's also one of the reasons why we're talking about generosity as a church right now, because our goal is to let as many people possible know that Jesus is for them, that Jesus loves them unconditionally, and I know, I know that money and the church has been messy for a very, very long time. I don't know if you saw this, but a few years ago, a pastor named Creflo Dollar, which is his real name, uh, he tried to raise $65 million to buy a private jet for his church. Apparently, the televangelist's previous jet was 30 years old, and he needed a new one. Um, I wish I was making this up. Uh, also, if Collective ever asks you for money to buy a jet, you have two options. One, run, right? Go as far away as you can. Or demand that it's for everyone's personal use and not just a pastor's. How about this? In the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church used to sell these things called indulgences. And indulgences were a way for you to pay money for the forgiveness of your sins. But what's even more amazing about this was that you could actually pay for future sins. And so if you knew you're going out on Friday night, you're heading down to the local tavern, you're going to make some bad decisions, you could head to a priest, give them money, and pay for the forgiveness of the sins you were going to commit later. And of course, this isn't from scripture. It was just a way for the church to profit off of people's faith. Just a few weeks ago, an article came out that said 33% of church leaders have served in churches that have suffered from some form of financial misconduct. And 50% of those issues have actually come up in the past 10 years. This is a major issue in the church right now. And so the track record for church and money isn't great. So actually what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes to share with you all how we handle money at Collective. Because for a lot of you, I'm guessing that it's not, uh, giving to a church is not a generosity issue, but for you, it's probably a trust issue. And so I want to pull back the curtain a little bit. At Collective, we have multiple layers of accountability when it comes to money. We contract an outside bookkeeper who tracks every dollar given and every dollar spent. And the truth is, she's mean in a very good way. <laughs> Constantly, Michael. Uh, but it's her job to make sure that every penny is accounted for a collective, and she just does an incredible job. We also have a finance team that's not led by me. It's led by one of our volunteers. Her name is Rachel. She's essentially our CFO. Our finance team meets quarterly, and uh, we talk about if we're overspending or underspending. They also help Collective create our yearly budget and make sure we actually have a plan for the future. 
Uh, our yearly budget, though, even though they oversee it, has to be approved by my management team. And a management team is essentially a group of overseers or elders, and no changes can be made to that without a vote. Rachel is also only one of two people who can write checks at the church, and I'm not the second person. I don't even know where our checks are. I can't write them. But to make sure Rachel has accountability while she can write checks, she has no opportunity to open credit cards or manage anything with online banking. We even have a rule that I'm not allowed to spend $5,000 or more without approval. In fact, a few years ago, when we bought our trailer, the church we bought it from wanted $5,500. And I told them, hey, if you want me to buy this trailer right now, it's got to be for under 5K or else I'm going to have to get a board vote and that could take a few weeks. So they sold it to us for $4,999.99. <laughs> and so I share, with this, uh, share all this with you so that you know there isn't one person at Collective that has full control when it comes to money. We have multiple safety nets in place. We have multiple layers of accountability in place. And we do that because it's the wisest thing to do but we also do that so that when someone gives a collective, there's a level of peace they can feel because they can trust that I'm not secretly buying a jet. And so last week, we broke down what the Bible says about generosity, and we learned that generosity is a hard issue. Generosity is a choice, and that generosity is about impact. And I said that in each week of this series, there's going to be a different generosity challenge. And so last week, the generosity challenge was to be generous in your neighborhood for Halloween, and I hope you all did that. I, I did hear stories of somebody who went out and bought beer to hand out to the parents, not the kids, uh, to the parents while they were trick-or-treating. I know someone that actually left church last week and went out and bought the big candy bars to hand them out. Uh, at my house, we only had a few trick-or-treaters come to our door, so we had a whole bag of Reese's left over, which meant that I had a whole bag of Reese's to myself. But right before we turned off the porch light, a group of older kids knocked on our door, and my wife pretty much handed the whole bag to them. And when she shut the door, I looked at her and I said, what are you doing? Like, those are going to be my Reese's. To which she responded, my pastor told me to be generous, so I'm just doing what he said. So I just steal from my kids now. And here's the generosity challenge for this week. Just like last week, it's not to give or to set up giving. I still want you to keep praying about what generosity will look like in your life. But here's the second challenge, and Danielle mentioned it earlier today. It's to grab a reusable grocery bag and shopping list and leave today and fill that bag up so that we can take care of families in Frederick this Thanksgiving. Year to date, as a church, we have collected 18,600 pounds of food. In the history of church, we've collected just a little over 58,000 pounds. And so the goal for this is 2,000 pounds of food because we can set a record for the most food in a year and we can break the 60,000 pound mark for the history of our church. And so if you just grab a bag and buy the items on the list, it's around nine pounds of food. And so we just wanna encourage you, grab a few extra things, fill it up, grab a second bag, fill up 10 bags, whatever you can do to be generous and bring them back next Sunday. And here's why we are doing these generosity challenges. Because if we can't be generous with the easy things, it's gonna be hard for us to be generous with the difficult things. And next week, and I said this last Sunday, but next week, the generosity challenge is that every person that goes to this church that follows Jesus commits to being a regular tither. Ultimately, that every person here takes one big step forward in their faith when it comes to generosity. And that is a tough challenge. That will be hard, but it's a challenge that I hope that we all choose to take. But before you do that, I want to talk about tithing and what Scripture teaches about it. And so if you've been to church before, you've probably heard this word. The word tithe means tenth in Hebrew. 
So tithing is the biblical word for giving 10% of your income to your local church. And this is a command that's seen throughout the Bible that God gives to his people. In Leviticus 20, verse 30, he says, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. A few verses later, he says, count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. Deuteronomy 14 says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your field produces each year. Micah 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Really quick side note on that. This is the only time in the Bible where God actually tells us to test him. It's with our giving. It's not with our time. It's not with our prayers. It's not with our church attendance. It's giving. And one thing I do want to point out is that there's actually a difference between giving tithes and offering. A tithe is 10%. An offering is anything that you actually give above your tithe. And giving is really just anything under 10%. And the reason why I point this out, because a lot of Christian people will say, hey, I'm tithing, but the truth is they're just giving. Tithing isn't some generic word for giving. It means a tenth. It has a very intentional meaning. And it specifically refers to giving a tenth to your church home. And, and I know this creates tension with you guys, but you're not mad at me. You're mad at God. So take it up with him. But if you're giving 4% to collective and 3% to a mission and 3% to a sponsored child, it's not tithing. Because your first responsibility is to your local church. Then if you want to sponsor a mission or if you want to sponsor a child, that's an offering. And so here's the first thing I want you to write down when it comes to tithing. Tithing is the standard of generosity for the church. It's the baseline. Now, immediately, if you say this around some self-educated Bible scholars, some of them will push back and say tithing is just an Old Testament thing, that this was a rule that was put in place pre-Jesus, And because Jesus died on the cross, we don't have to follow that law anymore. And part of that argument is true. Because Jesus died on the cross, we don't have to follow the laws in the Old Testament anymore. That's why we don't follow the Jewish kosher laws when it comes to our diet. That's why we don't have priests sacrifice rams and bulls for us. That's why we don't follow the holy days like the Feast of Tabernacles. We are free from the law. And Jesus' one law, he says, is to love God and love people. But here's what those people don't understand when they make that argument. Tithing existed before the law and after the law. In fact, the first tither was a man named Abraham. Abraham lived 500 years before God gave the law to Moses so that he could share it with the Israelites. But in Genesis 14, Abraham wins a battle, and he has all the splendors from war. And while he's on his way back home, he meets a guy named Melchizedek, who's described as both a king and a priest. And this is actually a metaphor for Jesus because Jesus is described as a king and a priest. And it says that Abraham gave Melchizedek tenth of everything he had. And so the first example of tithing in the Bible was with Abraham, who God said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And then 500 years later, God gave that law to Moses to give to his followers. Then if you skip ahead to Jesus, much later on, he praises tithing. One time, Jesus is bashing the religious leaders who are legalistic about everything. And he says in Matthew 23, For you you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the most important things. 
So he commends them for tithing and doing the right thing while also challenging them not to neglect the other aspects of our faith. And so when Jesus is teaching about giving and generosity, there's this cultural understanding that tithing is the standard that they lived by. And this wasn't argued about or debated until we started church in this era. And I know this is hard. I said it earlier. This isn't something that many Christians do. Nationwide, Christians give 2.5% of their income to God. For comparison, during the Great Depression, Christian gave 3.3%. 37% of people who call themselves followers of Jesus don't give at all. And this isn't to say that Christians aren't generous. I'm not trying to bash us. The Washington Post found that there's a staggering difference between the charitable giving practices of religious affiliated and those who have no religious affiliation. While 62% of religious households give to charity, only 46% of non-religious households do. Christians are the most generous. That's not debated. But the truth is we often fall short when it comes to the standards of generosity that God has set. When I was in high school, I would often head up to D.C. with my friends for shows or just to hang out, and we would always ride up on the Vienna Metro. And the way this stop is set up is that there's two really long and really wide glass walkways that take you from the parking lots and walk over 66, and you go downstairs to the Metro. And every time we went, there would always be a homeless guy sitting at the entrance to the walkway. And so the first few times I saw him, I ignored him. I'm not going to lie. I'm not the hero of this story. You'll see. Uh, But one day when we were heading to D.C. to help feed the homeless, I decided that my altruism was going to start with him. Listen, I didn't ignore him that day. So I walked up to him. uh, I grabbed my wallet, and I started thumbing through my cash with the intention of giving him a few ones. But as I was doing that, the guy said, you just give me one of those 20s. And I was like 17 years old, so I froze. I had no intention of giving him a $20 bill, but he called me out, so I gave it to him. Well, the next time I was heading to D.C., I decided that I was going to help again, but I didn't want to give him my big bills. So what I did is I took them out of my wallet, and I stuck them in my pocket to hide them. And when I saw him, I opened up my wallet to grab a few of the smallest bills and hand them off. I know, I'm not a good person. Uh, But here's the thing. This is what we do with God. What we try to do is we try to hide our big bills. We stick them in our pocket. We try to throw them a few ones every once in a while, right? When we think about it, when we feel bad about it, when we feel guilty about it, because that's what we're comfortable with. But God teaches, and Jesus follows up, that saying tithing is the standard of generosity. Now, here's the second thing about tithing that I want you to write down today. Tithing is about equal sacrifice, not equal giving, I think this is why the number, the tithe and 10% is so important. God doesn't ask every single person to give the same amount of money because he understands that isn't possible. God simply asks people who follow him to have equal sacrifice. There's a story in Mark 12, and this is how it goes. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. The poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Jesus praises the sacrifice, not the amount of money that she gave. Some of the most generous people in this church aren't the ones who make the most money or give the most money away. They are the people who sacrifice the most, the people who continued to give through a pandemic, even though their job was impacted. 
people who are paying off school but continue to choose generosity, people who work part-time jobs but continue to honor God with their giving, people who have slowly increased their giving every year because they're owning their growth when it comes to generosity. And I think God set it up this way so that we don't think our generosity is tied to some magical amount of money. But generosity is about equal sacrifice, not equal giving. So next week, that's the challenge. The challenge is to tithe, but the real challenge is to sacrifice. And I know that feels like a risk, but we want to be a church that has bold faith, and that means we take risks. And I just want to remind you that we're not doing this series because Collective is in a crisis. We aren't talking about giving because we're in debt because of this building. We have zero debt. We are talking about this because Jesus says it is more blessed to give than receive. And because we believe God can do bigger things in this church and in our city, and our generosity plays a huge part in that. Jim Collins wrote a book called Built to Last. And in this book, he introduced the idea of a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? And he said that every visionary organization, churches included, should set these types of goals, goals that are so audacious, so outside of the box, and so hairy that it feels like you'd never achieve them. Joe Vitale, uh, who also helped write the book, said the goal should scare you a little bit and excite you a lot. And I think about this all the time. We talk about it as a staff from time to time, or I'll talk about it with our leaders. What big goals do we have? What dreams do we have as a church? And so let's talk about this for a second. In the past four years, Collective has partnered with Maryland churches to pay off over $5.5 million of medical debt through an organization called RIP Medical Debt. I said this earlier, we've collected over 58,000 pounds of food. We've given over $135,000 to church planning. We've provided nearly 1,200 diapers to the Mental Health Association. We've collected just under 2,000 school supplies for West Frederick Middle. And we've donated just under 200 toys to children and teens to the Frederick Rescue Mission Toy Drive. And that's only part of the list. But none of that happens without generosity, without sacrifice. But what if we could do more? In fact, if money wasn't an object, what could God do through this church? Right? What BHAG would we have? What big dreams could we have? What if our church was so generous that every year at Christmas we paid off all the low-lying medical debt in Frederick County? Or how about this? What if Collective was so generous that we didn't just pay off medical debt in Frederick, we paid off the entire state of Maryland? This wasn't just a one-time thing we did last Christmas, but it was something that we could do all the time because we understand that debt is crippling families in our community and people need a second chance. Or how about this? I know, I know you guys are gonna break the 20,000 pound goal for for next week to get us over for the year. And I know that this church is capable of getting 2,000 pounds and that's light work for you all. I'm not concerned. But what if we set a goal of collecting 1 million pounds of food before our 30 years was up? That's just over 40,000 pounds of food a year, right? And I know that sounds crazy, but that's kind of the point. Over the past four years, we've helped multiple church plants get started, but all of them have been south of Richmond because it's so expensive to plant a church in the D.C. area. So what if Collective was so generous that we could give twice as much money away so we could start more churches in this area? Because the truth is, we know this. You have friends who live out there. Leesburg needs a church like Collective. Rockville needs a church like this. College Park, Gaithersburg, Ellicott City. And how different could Maryland be if we planted more churches like Collective in those cities? What if our church was so generous that we had an adoption fund? 
We just had tens of thousands of dollars set aside to help people who are called to adopt because one of the biggest barriers of adoption is cost. So what if we set aside thousands of dollars every year and families could apply and our church could help them adopt and dozens or hundreds of kids could grow up in homes where people are trying to follow God? Right? What if Collect was so generous that we could buy one of the empty buildings downtown and turn it into a co-working space that provided childcare? What if Collect was so generous that we could pay the closing costs for people who are succeeding in recovery from addiction and are trying to make it on their own and just need a place to stay? And I don't know which one of those will become a reality or if any of them will. But the point is that there is good that we can do as a church that we are not doing yet. And some of those ideas are so expensive and they are not practical. But what we're saying is if we were all in this together, maybe we could change Frederick forever or Maryland forever or this region forever because that's what we're trying to do here. And those are some of the big dreams. But here's my biggest dream, and we, this is every single week. The biggest dream that we have for this church is one more, one more. When we were designing this space, our interior designer had the great idea of putting a baptism wall in the staff office so that we could be reminded of what God has been doing at Collective. But instead of putting it in the office, we actually put it in a room that we call the team room. And so every time someone walks in and out of that area of the building, this is what they see. Right now, there are 101 pictures on that wall, but there's room for 375. And the ultimate dream that I have for this place is that we get to put another picture on that wall. And I'm not gonna lie, my ultimate dream is that it's a picture of my kids. But I also have dreams that it's a picture of your husband, a picture of your roommate, it's a picture of your dad. Because every single one of those pictures represents a life that's been changed. This is why we exist. And none of those pictures would be up there without the people who serve in this church and the people who are generous to this church. And while I'm so thankful for what God has done at Collective, I'm very humbled to be a part of it. I can't help but wonder how much more God could do and how much bigger of an impact could we make if this whole church chose together to be generous? How much more debt could we relieve? How many more churches could we plant? How many more lives could we see changed? Let's pray. God, um, we are really struggling when it comes to you uh, and our money. And God, the truth is, we just don't like it. Um, you know, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to hear about it. Um, really, we don't want to feel the emotions that we feel when reading it in the Bible or hearing it on a Sunday morning. But God, I pray as we wrestle with this feeling, um, God, as we feel frustrated or God, we feel guilty or whatever feeling that you're putting on our heart. God, ultimately, I, I pray that the feeling that we feel is that you are asking us to be generous so you can do so much more. God, we know that we are very lucky to be a part of a church where we see impact every single day. But God, we also understand that you want to do and you can do so much more. And the truth is, in a lot of ways, God, while we are open-handed and while we do our best to follow you, sometimes we stand in the way. And so, God, I pray that as we wrestle with this topic and as we pray for the next seven days about what generosity looks like in our life, as we choose generosity, as we feed families in Frederick, God, ultimately, that you give us peace and you lead us closer to what you ask us to do, and specifically what you ask people who follow you to commit to doing. God, it won't be easy. We know that. Um, to be honest, it's, it's probably so much harder than um, 
most things in our life to, to give money away. But God, you ask us to do it. So God, I just pray that we wrestle with this, that this week. And God, ultimately, the thing that we pray for the most is that when we choose generosity, we choose trust in you, that we continue to see big things happening in our city and in our state and in our region. God, we're so thankful for what we've been a part of. Um, but the truth is, we pray that you do more. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.